Hey, y'all, welcome to Maceway. Glad you're here. Uh, thanks for sitting through a little bit of rehearsal for those of you who got here a little earlier on time. And um, I want to make sure you guys can grab something to drink or eat over there uh, before you sit down. Um, we're going to start with a song um, tonight that's our call to gather. It's, uh, it's a tune from the 60s that um, some different people have done, uh, Indigo Girls and others, but it's a song called Get Together. about love and tonight we're going to talk for about a passage from John where Jesus is encouraging us to abide in him that the Holy Spirit's going to encourage our love for each other so we thought this song would be appropriate for our call and it's an easy one to sing so please sing along if you'd like to Yeah, there. 
Sorry, we're, we're trading microphones around this evening. I'll just leave right here. It's okay, I'll just stay right here. Hey, I'm Tim. Welcome to Emmaus Way. I'm kind of feeling a little lonely without my little <laughs> swivel stool, so maybe I'll just make a little circle here, though that's a problem with the microphone. Hey, it's good to see everybody here. I know this is um, graduation weekend, so we've got lots of new mentors. If you graduated, uh, raise a hand. Uh, that's a bunch of folks here. Woohoo! Fantastic. So we've got... We've got undergrads, we've got MDivs, uh, we've got uh, masters in Spanish, is that where, right here? Uh, do we have any other like degrees represented today? MBAs, of course, yeah, very good. And uh, like a doctor of deity or anything like that? No, none of those? So anyway, hey, congratulations, everybody. It's a state and Duke this weekend. I think Carolina was probably probably last week or so. So congrats. I know there's a, this is a a community that kind of orbs around the academic year uh, in terms of uh, life and finals and papers and all those things. And a lot of you look a lot happier than you did uh, two weeks ago. So congrats. Hey, Emmaus Way, uh, uh, most of you guys have been around a long time know this. We're a community that uh, understands that we are not the starting point to what God is doing in this place, but we sure do want to be part of the things that God is doing redemptively, uh, recreatively in Durham and the wider community. So one of the reasons that we gather every week is to hear each other's voice, to hear each other's voice around uh, a text each week as a dialogue. This week, that'll be John uh, chapter 15. But in addition, we gather around the table each week. We understand that the table is our opportunity to live and embody the, the resurrection that Jesus has experienced and promises to us now and in the future. So we gather each week with that, uh, with that special mindset. So it's a delight always to, to gather and worship together. Um, just a couple quick things before we uh, get back into music and other things. Dan, you have uh, at least one kind of missional thing for us. Um, this coming Sunday, uh, Durham Can is having an internal delegates meeting, which is uh, kind of to throw it on the map for you. Durham Can is 
for those of you that don't know, it's kind of a local grassroots, congregation-based political organization that we're involved with. Uh, they work on local issues here in Durham. Some of them actually now are branching out statewide issues, things like usuries and uh, interest rates and foreclosures with banks. Um, but during the internal uh, delegates assembly, what we try to do is to reassess, this happens about every two or three years, uh, reassess the priorities and the action teams that are working. And so this meeting will be to once again kind of reset uh, the priorities and the action teams that Durham County will be working on for probably the next two, two to three years. Um, so I'm looking for a couple people who will be willing to attend that. Um, if you're interested in being involved in the action team uh, uh, in Durham Can or through Durham Can, um, I'd really like it uh, if you could sign up. I'd like to have some names and some commitments tonight for Sunday. The meeting begins on Sunday at 2.30 at El Centro, which is down on Main Street. Um, kind of near the SunTrust big building. Um, I'd like to have about two, at least two or three people if possible. So if you come see me sometime during the service, we can sign you up. Um, I actually will be out of town next weekend, um, but I think some of our people who have worked with Durham Can in the past will be there to kind of help guide you through the process. And, it, and it, it, it'll be something for you to see as well. So if you're interested, please come see me, sign up. Um, we're going to be reassessing the priorities, as I said, for the next two to three years, and you'll have a chance to do that, um, as well as to kind of designate an action team if you want to Fantastic. Our missional life as a community is oriented around several partnerships like Reality Ministries, who's our, our host here, and Durham Can is our, our most uh, political and grassroots partnership, and there's others, Africa Rising. And so anyway, this is a real opportunity to step into the ground floor of the, the next step of that. We've been kind of living out a two to three year uh, plan already, so it's very exciting. And I don't know if you noticed this, we were down in Charlotte uh, on Wednesday. This has been part of a long, ongoing action with Bank of America in terms of helping them uh, rethink their, their, their deal with foreclosures as well as military loans and interest. And several things have gone well. I I actually got to sit in on the shareholders meeting, which was very interesting for those of you who are business people. I'm not. But Dan and Dave were on the uh, on the front page of the local Charlotte uh, NPR deal. So if you pull that article up, you can see them holding signs and looking pretty sharp there. So uh, anyway, you may want to check that out. But anyway, we're very excited to gather tonight. Jenny, make sure I don't mess this up. We are changing our service time, our worship gathering time for the summer, which has been our tradition, to 6 o'clock. And that starts on... May 20, Memorial Day weekend. So we have an next week. That's right. So tell us about that. <laughs> Fantastic. Our usual quarterly gathering of our community, which is our community life meeting. We talk about everything from finances to the things that we're doing in mission and discuss the life in our community. We do that once a quarter. That's this Sunday. Uh, and you guys know the way that we do this is we compress things. So we do our worship gathering from five to six. Um, we order pizza as a community. We hope everybody will stay. Anybody who sees this as their community or wants to find out more about it, please stay. We'll start at 6.15 and it goes only an hour. So you'll actually get home probably the same time but fed. And that's our usual routine. So please feel invited for that next week. And generally what we do is just toss a buck or two in uh, for pizza. And we do a big order. And if, you're, if you don't have money or whatever, it's no big deal to us. But uh, that's usually the dinner plan for Ecclesia. And then the following week is when we, t we change to 6 p.m., which is kind of our, our summer gathering time. And do we have a, an after gathering picnic plan so far? Is that correct, Jenny? The first week in June. 
It's the first week of June, June 5th. So please, Chelsea. For on the train of finances, someone who asked me how to give in this way, and we're just trying to let people know that there is a silver bowl out front for offering if you want to do it that way. Or we also can give you information on how to donate via PayPal or an automatic check from your bank. So. Fantastic. Chelsea spends a chunk of her week volunteering and managing our finances, which we, we deeply love. So anyway, thanks everybody. And uh, again, we look forward to, to gathering tonight around John 15. Yeah, Tim, sorry, we're so high tech that we have uh, sharing microphones tonight. We have a band and all of a sudden we're out of microphones, but we'll, we'll get it over to you so you can sit on your stool uh, for the... As we're talking about the conversation, I wanted to move into our music uh, that um, relates to the, to the dialogue. And we were talking uh, this week about this passage and talking about the fact that even though ordinary time is still a few weeks away in terms of the church calendar, that this idea of love, this idea of how the Holy Spirit worked oftentimes was overlooked in terms of ordinary time. And so uh, in some ways, this song kind of deals with the, the change that goes on in ordinary time, the ways that we're transformed. And then um, the song Born to be Loved, I think, is a, is a really beautiful song by Lucinda Williams. You guys might remember Easter. We did a song called Blessed. It's off that same record. And um, so anyway, uh, it's, it's uh, pretty repetitive. I think you'll be able to sing along with us. So anyway, this is Ordinary Time. sense of it all I know what I want it's not like before but I'm still here beating at the door don't think it's too much to ask to have some things go my way sick of being ignored I can do so much more well I could use a break Feel my heartbeat, wanna be extraordinary. Ordinary time, all free flows, landy roads away. Ordinary time, you take my hand, I can face the day. Ordinary time, all river flows, finally jumps the bank. Days they just fly by. Not getting any stronger. I wouldn't call me wise. Yet they always told me I had potential they couldn't wait to see. But there's a voice in my head like a noose around my neck. It's telling me you haven't done it yet. But I'll take the
Oh 
Hey, give you a second to stand up, greet the people around you, offer the peace of Christ to them. If you're by, if you brought parents or family for graduation, feel free to introduce them to the folks that are around you. And I'm going to give you a shout in about 90 seconds, and we'll we'll uh, move on. All right. No worries. Uh, there was some pretty awesome graduation cake over there. I, I just hit a major piece of that. Fantastic. Hey, um, tonight um, this is going to come in two parts. But we have a, a real privilege tonight. Um, uh, John Schantz is with us, who has just graduated from Duke Divinity School with an MDiv. And so we're excited about that. After three years of labor, you can, if you look carefully, you might see a little bit of a halo kind of maybe off to the side here. But it's, it's near, near the top of his head. And uh, John has been a part of this community for three years. Uh, I think you wandered in the very first week that you were in town. And um, you said something last week that, that meant a lot to me was that, um, and I think this has been one of the really special parts of Emmaus Way is the relationship that we've been able to have with our graduate students who are here for a year, two, three, four years, and, uh, and for, the, for the lit PhDs, 15 or 20 years. And, um, <laughs> but um, but um, we've had the opportunity to really be a part of their lives and part of their formation. And John said, this has been the center of his formation. And, uh, you know, I think that's one of the things that sometimes, um, especially serving on the board, of a divinity school, sometimes it's missed that uh, school can't be the soul of your formation. It's, there has to be something more diverse than that. It's always challenging because of the, the workload. So John, it's just been a pl- pleasure to have you with us. Uh, but tonight, one of the things that we, we're, we have talked to John about is, is a couple of things. Is one is that um, he has a desire to be ordained by Emmaus Way, which we're very excited to do. And so uh, this is kind of our way of saying that we're officially kind of grabbing John and kind of in uh, maybe church language, putting him under care, meaning that there's, there'll be an imminent ordination. And this has been a great year. We've, we've ordained Dan and, and Amy uh, this uh, this year. So it's been a, a real privilege for our community to be a part of people who are uh, taking a step toward leadership. And so that's up and coming. We're hoping to do that in the late summer or fall or whenever you can get back. Um, and the other step that we wanted to do tonight actually is to commission John. He is, uh, he's asked for this community to send him out to a ministry. Uh, and it's actually one that we're really excited about being, being involved with. So John, you're off to Florida City. Tell us, tell us what's next. Sure, Tim. Thanks. Um, yeah, I'm miss this community. Uh, first of all, um, it's just been a really, really good three years, um, and so I want to thank you all for that. Um, but yeah, so I'm I'm moving to Florida City, Florida, which is about the southernmost point of Miami, uh, right before you start going to the Keys, and I'm going to be working for a nonprofit 
Um, and th I'll, I'll be the associate director of one of their branches, um, and I'll be uh, working with youth mainly. Um, and this particular area is more economically poor, I guess you could say, and it's a large immigrant community. Um, and last, I guess last January, I had a chance to take a trip to the U.S.-Mexican border and just saw a lot of things that um, really tugged on my heart, um, especially being from Florida, a place where there's um, a pretty good immigrant population in general, um, and just saw a lot of things and started thinking about what does it really mean for, um, for, for us as the church to take seriously that Jesus was also an immigrant. Um, and even in, you know, in John's gospel, somebody makes the comment of, you know, what, what good can come from Nazareth? Because Nazareth is this place of outcasts and immigrants, um, and that's where Jesus comes from. And so, um, so those, those sorts of things really led me um, to, to this next step and going back to the place where I'm from and planting myself in, in a, pretty high, a pretty high immigrant populated area. Um, and just seeing what, what they have to teach me and, and us to, to learn together and, and be attentive to, I guess, the kingdom in places where, you know, people say the kingdom isn't. So, I did a little quick Google map when I was sitting with John. And if you'll look at and we have a lot of Floridians here, so apologize. I don't have a good Florida geography. But it literally, uh, Hurricane Andrew went to the north of Florida City. It's, it's south. And if you're looking at the bridge that's kind of heading to the Keys, this is... Florida City is the base of that bridge. What, so what populations and, and what are some of the issues and problems that you think you'll face? You're going to be leading programs. You, you have also, um, you, you have four or five um, workers, that the volunteers that will be coming in as a staff for you. And uh, it's not Teach for America, but uh, it's AmeriCorps. AmeriCorps coming in. So talk about what are some of the issues that you think you will see as you're stepping into to this vocation? Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, so, so I'll have about four or five AmeriCorps volunteers that'll kind of be my staff. Um, and this, this particular population, there's, there's a lot of Haitians, um, Dominicans, Puerto Ricans, and Central Americans in this area. Um, and so there is a, a, good, a good amount of violence um, in this particular area. And so for, for us, our kind of like goal, I guess you could say, was, is to provide um, a place where kids can be um, and be loved and be themselves and and have different opportunities um, in the community most most of these kids parents either work in the fields picking some of the food that we eat or they take the bus to Key West and do certain hospitality jobs um, that nobody else really wants and so these the kids are left at home um, they go to school and and besides that, they don't have the, the opportunity to have any kind of after school, like programming, stuff like that. And so that's, that's one of the main things that we do is we'll do a lot of after school programming, a lot of programming during their, their breaks and different things like that. And then also um, we'll provide like tutoring and different educational opportunities for, for the kids so in this particular area. Fantastic. And one of the things we thought of, uh, Julie, I was thinking this is a lot like what reality does here. And we have a lot of folks here who volunteer for reality ministries. So one of the things we're kind of excited about as a community is exploring are there ways that we can be a part of the work that you're doing there. So in this way, it's, it's truly a commissioning. One of the things that uh, given that we do have a, a kind of a fairly heavy academic population, we're kind of having conversations about uh, spring break or other kind of school breaks here and opportunities 
opportunities to go and explore what John's doing and seeing if, if this community can be a support to what he's doing. And so it was exciting that you, you wanted us to do that. And, uh, and so anyway, I say that to you, uh, just so that you're thinking about those things, because it might be something that you're interested in doing. And again, uh, John is somebody who is dear to our heart. I think we're always going to kind of be part of your community, so to speak. And we're excited about the, the work, work that you're doing. Um, we're going to have an opportunity to pray for John in a bit on the, on the backside of the dialogue. But let me ask first, what, what are some things that you would like us to either pray for, know about, be thoughtful of as you're making this transition? I know you're off to the summer doing summer camp work. So this will really start in late August for you. Is that, that's correct? So what, how, can we, how, how can we be thoughtful and mindful and prayerful of this uh, transition for you um i guess just just be being supportive in prayer um you know transition is also always like a difficult um a difficult time and i know maybe you know some of you have are going through this right now too but tra- i mean transition's hard and so just being supportive and um and praying for me and uh being mindful of others who are going through that transition too so thank you John, you are very much going to be in our prayers, and uh, and in a bit, in a bit, I'm going to call you back up, and we're going to kind of lay hands and pray for you as you start this uh, this journey. So you are going to be missed, very much so. Uh, yeah, John, one of the things that's exciting about him is. Um, I had an opportunity to sit down with him uh, when he just arrived as a divinity student and asked him what are some things that he wanted to do. And it was, and you were talking about this type of ministry, and it was exciting to kind of see you take the journey for three years and then land in a thing that, that I think uses your gifts in many ways. So it's very, very exciting stuff to do. Hey, Tonight, let me prime you with a, uh, you have a text that's gone around. I hope it made it all the way around. I had a little photocopier issues today. And so there, there should be enough for people to share uh, for this uh, first portion of John 15. Um, but I want you to think a little bit about this question. And, and we'll, we'll circle back to this in a moment. What does it mean to really be human and what does it mean to really follow God? Um, we had an opportunity, I guess, two weeks ago. Uh, um, we had uh, Jesse and his band was performing at Casbah and another band that had musicians that are a part of Emmaus Way on occasion. And, and Wade was performing as well. And Wade, I got a chance to hear um, your song. It's, and actually, it's one I love because you have been talking to me about it for three or four years. So it's really exciting to see it kind of be written as a song and on a CD now uh, called A Real John Wayne. Um, but if you would listen, I, Wade's being very gracious. I called him today at about two o'clock and said, you think you guys could play this tonight? Uh, I was going to do the digital recording, but he had such confidence in the band that they pulled this together real fast. But if you would listen to this song, um, it's on Wade's recent release, We. Um, and, it's, and, and think of that question. Look at the journey of what we often call as the ultimate human and what is it really, what, what really is, uh, uh, what does it really mean to be ultimately and fully human. Yeah, my dad used to always talk about my grandfather as a real John Wayne. And as we were talking about the myth of the American West, um, wrote these lyrics. Was a real John Wayne. That's what my dad said. About the man who raised him. Wasn't with another woman, but he wasn't defeated sitting in his chair. 
with a failed business, mostly failed marriage, and a hot temper. Fists were like steel. He was good in a fight. At least the kind where you hit someone else. He was loyal except when he wanted to bed some sweet young thing. You trust him with anything except getting past his failures and swallowing his pride. Enough to work for another man, even when his family was flat broke. He was a real John Wayne. That's what my dad always said. About the man we call Papa, who had a great joke and a fiery tale. Except when he was mad or brooding or staring at the TV. In a trance, it let you know he was looking for life, something or somewhere else. Yeah, he was as tough as nails. He was a bomber pilot. He drove a convertible. He rode Harleys till his knee got crushed in an accident. He gained too much weight for his heart to support all the diets and surgeries and bleeding in the world. Couldn't save him. Couldn't save him in the end. John Wayne That's what my dad used to say Till the same man ran into Jesus Building hospitals in Africa Was a favor to the local church Was there in a mud hut On his knees he actually Began to walk a little taller Begin to speak with a little more confidence again. Well, true, he had gone and tried to be the cowboy. One more time with a shovel and a hard hat. Try to teach those poor blacks how to build something for real. But what he got was loved, shown how to work all day in the African sun. Like no man he'd ever known, ever known. Learned he could be entertained with a warm coke that costs a year's wages. Someone gave him out of respect, 
not just any man was a black man yeah who is wearing the white hat now dad used to say and then he started changing from the inside out yeah my dad didn't really know what to call him then I think maybe we should call him brother instead yeah I think maybe we should call Waiting guys for pulling that together last minute. It's very appreciated. Uh, Wade, I know that was a that's been a hard song for you to to write and pin even in your own family in terms of yeah. receiving that song. So yeah, they they're my dad in particular is just that's not his version of things, and so he, he likes his version of things. So that one's not not it. Yeah, and and Wade's family. We all joke. If you get to know Wade, Wade is a was is part of like the great American family. Uh, there's they probably have better stories about guns, explosions. Uh, uh, his his granddad, the real John Wayne, uh, you know, sired his Wade's dad was a professional football player, and one of his brothers was, and so they really have this like epic. American novel going on. I think if if Pat Conroy had found you guys earlier, uh, he would have he could have written about your family. So, uh, and you know, the tension of the song. It's why I was thinking about it today. Is what is it? What is it really to be a human being? And 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 then also in the in the transition of the song. Uh, is there is there something that's even more human uh, related to our faith? Let me throw that question to you guys. What are some of our typical cultural normal answers to the question what does it mean to be truly human how do we typically answer that question yeah to be in charge in control of your life that that's you know that's somebody who's truly human they've 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 maybe tapped their potential exactly thanks vanessa other ways that we maybe answer that question 
to be popular, to be known, to, to people to, to, you know, to have an entourage, to have people who have, or even like somebody said this day, I'd like to have some people. <laughs> so to have people, sure. Yeah, thanks, Hannah. Other ways. Kind of do something of work, right? Leave a legacy. Yeah, legacy. Or something really that you accomplished. That's what it means to live a good life. Kind of thing. Yeah, and 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 you know, um, I think for you know, we've got lots of young parents here in this community, and and one of the things I think we, we all struggle with in our culture is the tension: do I do I live for myself? Do I do I make something dramatic? Or maybe my kids? I can live through them. They'll do something that creates a lasting legacy. Absolutely. Yeah, sure, Andrew. Well, if you, um, if you read most sort of modern accounts, then it's rationality as well. Rationality is what sets people apart from animals. But as you know, I'm from South Africa, and in South Africa, there's a very different concept of Ubuntu. And Ubuntu, the, the meaning of the word Ubuntu is that you're made human through a relationship with other humans. Ah. So you're not made human by rationality, but you're made human by a relationship with other humans. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so even in different cultures, we have different understandings of that and, and, and our rationality or perhaps our relationality are kind of part of the essence of being human. Anybody else? What makes us truly human? What's the culture story on this? Vocational success. Voc- yeah, vocational success, you know, having uh, status, hierarchy, uh, and I think lots of parts of the world uh, where you may travel, uh, people pass business cards to kind of find out where people line up so you know who to late, relate to because uh, success, business success, academic success, uh, those, for the scholar types, what makes you a real human? Publishing. Uh, Money, grants, all, I mean, there, there's a hierarchy. Uh, 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 Gail's husband, Jim, and I had a conversation when he was a brand new assistant professor at UNC. And, and one of the things he said to me was, wow, my job description doesn't seem too gospel oriented in one sense because so much of it orients around money and power and creating status for the University of North Carolina. Now there was a whole mission to being an epidemiologist, but he was saying there's a, there's a fairly intense tension between what our culture says and what our world says is to be really human and perhaps what it, what it means to follow God. So let me ask you that question. What does it mean to truly be, um, a follower of God. What does it? What does it mean uh, to you know? And, and if if people were to discuss um, the answer, and I'm not necessarily saying this is an Emmaus Way answer, but what's a normal religious or even Christian answer to the question? What does it mean to be a real follower or a real believer? How would we answer that question? Yeah, Jesse. I think it's it's the you know Jesus with the commandments, the two great commandments. Sounds like a lot, a lot like Ubuntu. Yeah, yeah. But I think maybe maybe the difference is in our our culture. I mean, if you ask the average person on the street, yeah, the, the average person, they yeah. answer the first question. I think the same way. Well, ultimately, it's about loving people and being loved. It's it's to love and, and be loved. But all this other stuff that everybody mentioned, I don't know if anybody would actually answer the question and say, yeah, it, you know, to be human means. To succeed at my job, I don't know if 
they would say that, but it's the way we, we live. Right. And, and so maybe to, to, to love God then and to, to follow those commands is actually to just prioritize what everybody else sort of knows deep down. And when somebody gets killed in a car accident, they say, oh, now I know, you know, my, my, my sister's gone. Now I know I, what I, I have to live for something bigger than, you know, and make, what do, they, what do we say? It, oh, it really makes you think, or it changes the way you look at mm. You know, I, I, Jesse, one of the things I was thinking, and, I, and you're scratching at this, is the question I've asked you previously, what does it mean to be human? I kind of put down some, some big code words like experience, having ultimate experiences, or legacy, you know, having something that lasts, or materialism, accumulating more than others, or, or relationships, having friendships, community, marriage, kind of those are, and to some degree, sometimes our answer to what does it mean to be an ultimate God follower is to just take that list, experience, legacy, materialism, relationships, and maybe add a little Jesus to it or, uh, or something. And so maybe I have the greatest God experience uh, than somebody else, or I accumulate more blessings from God, whatever those are, or I accumulate, uh, I have a greater legacy in the kingdom, or maybe my, you know, so to some degree, a lot of times our our answer uh, to what does it mean to be human is really similar to our answer to what does it mean to follow God. Um, The text we're going to look at today is going to really Almost in a simple, trite way, but in a powerful way, frame the answer uh, as John is writing this to to the church in the first century of, of what does it mean to be human? And what does it mean to follow God? And his answer, like Jesse's answer, is pretty linked together. There, it's, it's hard to even for John to separate the, the, what he might say is the, the two answers to that question. So Chelsea is going to read this for us. Uh, I, if you've got a text near you, uh, follow along. This is John, the very first part of John 15. John 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be disciples. (laughs) As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends, and if you do what I command, I know will longer call you servants because servants do not know their master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. 
You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name of the, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Thanks, Chelsea. Wait, it's interesting. The very first verse here, um, I, most of the translations, the one you're holding says, I am the true vine. And that's the typical one. Um, and sometimes that pushes the word like, I'm the true vine. Uh, there's other false vines out there. That's, that might be kind of the reaction to that. The word actually has a force of the one that you used um, with your song. Um, and a few translators do it this way as I'm the real vine. Uh, in some ways, you were raising the question, what's a real John Wayne? I mean, what's a real human being? And to some degree, John, in writing the gospel here, is saying the very same thing. Uh, Jesus is quoted as, I am the real vine. I am the real thing. I am the real life. And of course, a vine is a, it was a classic ancient symbol, especially in an agrarian culture, for life and ongoing life and fruit and legacy and all of those things. And so as we look at this, one point jumps out of this uh, very strongly is that John is telling us that to be truly human, to be truly a follower of God, we are defined by an organic, living, mutual unity with God. The image of God as gardener, but Jesus as the true vine and human beings as the, the fruits of that vine. And all those words about remain in me and I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. What we're being shown here is that um, truly to be human is to live in a, a living and an organic relationship um, with the Father, with Jesus, to be connected into those of you who who uh, I, this is not the current reading list for most people, but if you ever read C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity and some of his follow-up books, uh, one of the things that turned my mind reading that 30 years ago is my mindset as a kid growing up is I needed to be a believer. I needed to believe in Jesus. I needed to choose Jesus. I needed to think that Jesus was better than other persons. I needed to do the things that Jesus did. And that was a, a very short, but very significant ethical choice list that I needed to be on top of. And so so when I read C.S. Lewis and, and he framed it as the idea of following Christ is actually entering the three-personed love of God. Um, and I thought the three per I knew the Trinity would come up maybe somehow, some way, in a significant way. And there it was, this idea that God was a living, breathing entity, a community of love. And what it means to follow or to be human, to, to be what the Creator created us to be, is to live into that three-personed life of God. And so in some ways, our understandings or maybe our quick answers to that question are, are being reframed. Instead of just believing in God, we're challenged that, that truly to be human, truly to follow God is more than just an intellectual or an act of cognition. It's more than just uh, experiencing God, uh, experiencing answers, uh, great experiences, ritual. It's more than just mere obedience. Uh, it's more than because we give obedience. You guys probably, all of you have a, a boss, a friend, uh, somebody that you don't feel very connected to, but they have some measure of power over you and you follow what they say, not because you want to, not because you love it, but because you, you have to in some way or reason. So in some ways, we're, this whole idea of what it means to be a follower of God is being reframed in John as an intimate, 
living, breathing relationship such that you cut the vine and it's, it's not alive anymore. Um, and in some ways, this is offered to us as the ultimate hope for our lives. The ultimate human destination is to be intimately connected to God. Now, I know that that's an immense statement. That's a statement in and of itself that could be weeks and weeks and weeks of, of conversation with each other. Is what does it mean to, to live into God's life? What does it mean to be intimately connected to God? But for us today, at least what it does is it reframes this idea of what it means to be human. And actually what it means to be human in its greatest expression is to be intimately connected to God. Another point that comes out of this is the idea of, of what does this life of being connected to God look like? So if, if you were to buy into this idea that this is a, an organic unity, that, 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 that there's a vine and the true vine is Jesus and we're to be united to, to Jesus in some way, what does that look like? That could be pretty esoteric in, in lots of ways. And let me remind you of a couple of things on this. One is that John writes without some of the dualisms that we sometimes have. Like, for example, we can talk about life and virtuous life. We could say, hey, Wade has life, but Dan has a virtuous life, you know, and in some ways implying that one can can live without virtue. Um, John doesn't think that at all. He, he basically lives in a strong category of alive or dead. There's not some special category of someone who finds virtue in their life. They're either living and they're living in this unity with God, God's ultimate purposes, or they're not living. Another dual, dualism that, that John doesn't respect is that sometimes we tend to press the idea of inward and outward. This idea that, hey, being connected to God, that that sounds like a really great retreat. That sounds like a phenomenal prayer ritual. That sounds like silence and reflection and yoga and all sorts of wonderful meditative acts that might draw us in a greater awareness of God. But you can do those things and not care one bit about the created world outside of us. And then sometimes some of us have the other, the inversion of that. We're very committed to the world, but we tend to think of our souls as disconnected from that world. John doesn't respect that dualism either. He doesn't understand this idea that one might be inwardly united to God, but not outwardly or expressively united to God. So Hannah asked a great question in text group this week, one that, that I, I want us to press a little bit is if you look at the text, uh, you kind of caught the, the vibe, the words remain, <laughs> bear fruit, bear much fruit, love. Those words are repeated a lot. Now, but Hannah's question was, what does it really mean to, to bear fruit? What does it mean to be fruitful? Because we've probably all grown up with different answers to that, depending on the tradition you came from, but depending on the home that you were raised in, the perspective that you have of the world around you, we might have some different definitions. But somehow John is hoping that we get some understanding of what this fruitfulness might be. And remember, he's not thinking that you could be living connected to God and be not fruitful. So fruitfulness is all part of this life of being connected to the vine. There's no way for it to be anything else than that. So what are your thoughts? Looking at this text, um, thinking in terms of your own experiences, but what do you think, 
we're being told is fruitfulness or life in the vine. What is it? parts isn't it first you see you see the change in yourself that each and every day you become a little more like christ and you reflect a little more of what he looks like in your life and then that's shown out as your life changes it's reflected in the works that you do it's it's you, you become your your thoughts and your, your actions become more like christ and it becomes less about me and more about thee okay so it's something that's inward but it's expressed outwardly and that those two things are related to each other. Absolutely. Sure. What does it mean to be fruitful? Be good at loving each other. Be good at loving each other. Now, why do you say that, Gail? Well, he goes on to say that, you know, it, um, it, you know, it's something that Yeah, Jesse, you were saying this earlier that this love of God and love of neighbor, another dualism that John would say is absolutely preposterous. Cannot love God without loving neighbor or vice versa. And, and Gail, you're striking at something here that seems to be critical. This idea of remaining in God. Uh, remaining in love, loving God, being loved by God, and bearing fruit has hu- huge, immense implications in the idea of loving each other. In fact, one commentator on this says that love is the very thing that's passed on in a life of fruitfulness. Now, love, and we've all said this many times. Dan, you said this a couple weeks ago. Love can be an incredibly trite word. Um, I don't eat Fruit Loops, but I, I'm pretty convinced I love Fruit Loops. Uh, I mean, it can be an incredibly trite word. In the context of this text, how are we reminded that what's being described here is not a, a, a trite concept? Because I think you're exactly right, Gail and Jesse. Yeah, it gets a little complicated there, doesn't it, Sarah? I mean, it involves the kind of sacrifice that is more than, and, and this was said here to some degree, that it's not about my agenda because my agenda involves absolutely no sacrifice for anyone. I'd love to, to kind of find a way to not do that, but to some degree, uh, and, and think of the context. Jesus is telling this in the very midst of a prediction of his own death that is so imminent that as this is written, he writes it as if it's already happened. It's so sure in his mind that he is going to indeed lay down his life. So the love that is being described here is a life of incredible sacrifice. And understand how that confronts our notions of humanity. The ultimate human being, if you were to ask James Bond, is the guy that's entirely in control of his life, who's prepared for every circumstance. Uh, He's the Dos Equis guy that says, I had an awkward moment just to see what one felt like. Uh, That's to some degree how we might answer the question, what does it mean to be the ultimate human 
human being, but this is an incredibly, radically different story than that. It's a life that is lived in God, and the only way that we can say and truly say that we're living into God is that we're loving each other in an incredibly sacrificial, uh, laying down our life kind of manner. Who was it, Terry Eagleton, that said, you know, if you're a Christian and you don't end up dead, you might have some explaining to do. There's not some kind of short or small notion of doing this. Now, one of the things that I wanted to kind of throw at you guys um, as I I look at the clock here is I wanted to give a chance. Uh, I want to do more, more of this, but it's hard. You know, it's hard. Sometimes we need to hear each other, bless each other in these comments, but we're not going to say, hey, Uh, everybody stand up and tell their greatest story of sacrifice in the name of God. I mean, if we, I mean, if we knew this about you, we would surely say that Amy Green, I mean, I thought she was a true follower, but I now know that she's an obtained in a level that I may never, we're not going to do those things because you guys are humble and you're, you're kind people. But I also wanted to give us an opportunity to say, as you look at the community around you or the families that are around you, um, Give me some tweet-sized, 140-character examples of ways that you've seen people embody this kind of sacrificial love such that you get a passage that's really challenging, like I'm the true vine, and you kind of go, I kind of know a little bit about what that means because of this person, this friend, this uh, family member. Can, can a couple of you give me an example of, of ways that you have seen this type of love defining humanity, uh, ultimate uh, being what God has created as kind of experience? Some examples? It comes to my mind, um, Gail and me both, um, when Madeline was a baby, she was terribly hard and screaming. They both loved me in a, in a way. It just made me feel. I don't know. It just was. Not that easy. Thank you. And you know, our, nothing makes us more vulnerable than our kids at times. I mean, that, I mean, that's that we put aside all of our, our whatever we show everybody else related to our kids. And it makes us able to be wounded or blessed in an incredibly vulnerable way there. And I think that's uh, one of the dreams we have here of, of raising our kids together and, 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 and caring for each other. Thank you, Susan, for saying that. Uh, other examples of the way that you've seen this in flesh. I think of Jenny, just the way that she structures her life to surround herself with people that you know she can love on and invite to her home she's one of the most like hospitable people and she's probably one of the most busy people I know and usually those things don't go together and Jenny does it really really well and um, you know just makes people feel comfortable she's always there to you know invite you over for soup or movies or whatever I just feel like Jenny does that incredibly well Jenny and I were sitting in a car last week after church and a meeting in another location. I was like, you have this unbelievable gift of hospitality. And I can say this very selfishly. Anybody who has ever started a church, but you don't pray for the greatest musician on the planet, though it's great to have one and we do. Uh, You don't pray for the greatest staff. You don't pray for the greatest people. You pray for people who understand hospitality. That's the thing that, that, that starts a community living and breathing. And Jenny has that gift. Another example or two. Yeah, both, Mark and Jason. Jason. Well, 
<laughs> no, after you. <laughs> Mark has the gift. <laughs> uh, I'm just I'm watching my, my mom um, care for my ex-wife. Um, she's uh, my ex-wife is uh, very lonely. She's she's created that for herself, but um, my mom probably is. At least in the top five people that my ex-wife has mistreated in this world, um, she has a, a right to be pretty angry and bitter toward her. But she's the only friend she's got right now, and uh, it's pretty amazing to watch. Such a reminder, Jesse, that life doesn't run on this linear path, does it? You love a little harder, you get a little more love from God. You love a little harder, you get a little more love from God. You do everything right and everything works out. The kids are above average, always healthy. Life and relationships always work out. It's not how it works sometimes. Some of the greatest tragedies are the things we don't even ask for. And in, in, in so many ways, that idea, that crazy statement that Jesus says, dang him for saying it, love your enemies. I mean, love people who've wounded you to the point that they become friends. And that, that's a... That's a great testimony and a great answer. Uh, Mark, you were going to say something too. I was going to say, Wade has been that for me for several years. Um, when I went through some of the darkest periods of my life, I also went through a divorce. And um, I think, I mean, Wade, like Wade called me every night. And I mean like every night. <laughs> and, it was, and it was exactly what I needed. You know, even if it was, um, even if it was just that, like, man, today has really sucked. But it's ten thirty. Wade's gonna be calling me soon. And just, just that is, is kind of like what helps you get through those times. And I've, I've sort of said to my wife, um, my, my wife now, I've said to her and to other friends that I, I don't honestly know if I could really say I knew how to be a friend until I saw Wade live it for me. Um, I certainly think that I have tried to be friends to people and sometimes sometimes the way that we are a friend is just by always saying yes to the person but I think Wade helped me to see that it's not it's not just being a yes man it's being a comforter and a truth teller and someone who just doesn't give up and doesn't stop walking yeah, what a great story. And it's amazing how these, what we might call mundane acts of faithfulness, of just regular caring for somebody, uh, stands out as a huge beacon. And I think Jesus smiles at those stories because he's not telling the, 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 the true human is the one who solves the great Masonic riv, uh, riddle of the ancient mysteries of life. It's, he just gives a planting analogy of remaining in someone and abiding. And isn't it funny that those little verbs, remain, abide, remain, abide, depending on the translation you have, are, are what sits beside the word love again and again. And that's an example of abiding. It's an example of staying in there. Uh, one more. David Elizabeth. Uh, Eford have been that for me just to walk alongside me through this last couple of years of transition and school and jobs and uh, 
just have really been there, and especially Dave, just you know, going out to breakfast every other week for a year, you know, and just being there and being that person that I could call and go over to dinner and whenever I needed to. So, very, very thankful for that. That's been the blessing of this community that there's so many people that do that. Uh, hey, John, would you come forward one more time? Um, I want to pray for you. What's interesting, and, and I kind of did a little left turn on this text because as I was preparing this this week, one of the things I realized was that um, this was a, um, I'm going to be really careful with that, and I'm going to move that before music occurs, um, the, um, that this text was an ordination text, and it was a commissioning text. Look at the final words of this. Um, uh, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Uh, and in some ways, almost all that we have on the language of commissioning and sending out is saying, send out people who love. Send out people who live and care for an intimate union with God and express that lovingly with others. And John, you have been a really powerful example of that as, as, as many others have been proclaimed. In many ways, it's not your MDiv at Duke. It's not your vast experience that sends you out. We said similar things to Amy and to Dan. It's not those things. It's, it's your ability and your desire to remain in love that makes us excited about your path. Um, so one of the things that we wanted to do tonight is, is to pray for John. And um, if you want to, this would be comfortable for you. Um, it, it, come, come and stand around John if you'd like to, if you know John, or you want to uh, lay hands on his shoulder or, uh, um, and do that. And I think, Dan, would you, would you be the one who prays for our community for, for John? But if you'd like to, uh, but the rest of you, I'm going to ask to stand up uh, just as a, a, a kind of a, a, a physical entity that draws us closer. And if you'd like to, to gather around John, please do that. And I'm going to let Dan tonight kind of be the, the voice of the community for us. So Dan, uh, no pressure at all. God, we come before you now uh, in thanksgiving for the wonderful gift that John has been amongst our community. Uh, he has lived with us. He's dined with us. He's drank a little bit with us, maybe a little bit more than, than he should have. <laughs> Lord, we thank you for the love that he has touched all of our lives with, uh, for the love that uh, we have shared with him but also the love that he has shared with uh, multiple groups of people that he's come in contact with. Lord, we thank you for his spirit, for his willingness to learn, for his curiosity, for the questions that he asks. Lord, we thank you for his gift of humble service, the multiple times that he has worked and offered himself uh, of no recognition, but simply to be in service to the community, to this church, to Durham. God, we also thank you for this next stage of his life. We thank you that he has embraced a risk, that he has taken the opportunity to join in the adventure of pursuing your kingdom, 
And while we're sad that that is taking him elsewhere, we are thrilled by the fact that he provides us with yet another example of what your love and your gospel mean in this creation. God, we also now ask as he goes out that your spirit would walk with him, that your love would be upon him, that your hope would shine forth in front of him, and that he would abide in you in faith and in the joy of recognizing that your mission is being worked out in the world through the ordinary, the very daily practices, the very constant and mundane communion that he shares at your table, but also with those that he serves. God, we place our blessing upon him and we send him out now to be in the world the gospel, the grace, and the love that you have shown to each and every single one of us and to this community. Amen. Thanks, Dan. Hey, uh, Dan and uh, Wade and the crew are going to lead us through confession and absolution. And in so many ways, um, I hope that you'll receive confession, confession tonight as a gift that leads us to absolution, to know that we are part of that vine, that we are, there, there's no performance that's needed for that. Yeah, thanks, Tim. This is uh, our confession. It's called River of Love. It's a very much a modern day psalm that picks up on these themes of God's love for us, how we love each other, also our brokenness. I think it's very much like a psalm in that way where there's a, the both are there, God's presence in a river of love and also our own brokenness. So hear this, uh, sing it with us as your confession. There's a river of love that runs through all time. There's a river of grief that floods through our lives. It starts when a heart is broken into by the thief of belief in anything that's true. But there's a river of love that runs through all times. Try that verse again. There's a river of love that runs through all times. There's a river of grief that floods through our lives. It starts when a heart is broken into by the thief of belief in anything that's true. But there's a river of love that runs through all time. Well, there's a river of love that runs through all time. There's a river of tears that flow through our eyes. We fight through the night for freedom as it fades into a jail where we fail every time we make a break. There's a river of love that runs through all time. Yeah, well, I had to run before I knew how to crawl. 
commissioning tonight I didn't want to before Dan leads us to the table I didn't want to uh, we've been asking the la- this the last two weeks is this anybody's last evening with us before departing Erica I have a feeling it's yours as well is, is this your parents as well we're delighted to have you guys with us you've been here before with us but uh, uh, farewell Erica has been in sometimes our full representation of the Duke undergrad population in a man's way uh, so we are going to miss her deeply anyone else that is saying farewell tonight well, make sure you catch Erica and any of the others who are, are departing these next few weeks. And Dan, if you want to take us to the table. I have a sense that I'm looking out into a group of people who have made some pretty poor decisions with their lives. 
mean, some of you are not choosing careers to maximize your earning potential. There are those of you here who are wasting your time in relationships that are not ever going to get better. There are those of you here who are spending time living for and living about things that don't seem to matter. You see, because often as we tell the story, when we try to put our lives on the map of how things go, we do that through looking to the importance of things, about how they will affect the future. We know that in the generations to come, when they sit down to pen the history books, they're going to write the stories of the great men and women who stood up and took charge at a certain point who made important decisions when they had to be made, who worked themselves into places of power so that they could lead into the future. It doesn't seem likely that any of us are going to do that. If we're excited about being on the front page of NPR in Charlotte, we're not likely to do great things beyond (laughs) that. That's one way of telling the story. But there's a different way of looking at the story. There's a different way of understanding what might be going on in the world. There's a different way of telling the story of love. And that when things are recounted at the end of time by God, that it might actually be the relationships that we continued to work on when they didn't seem like they were ever going to work out. That it might actually be the choices that we made career-wise that didn't promise the biggest return, but actually affected the lives of people that we came in contact with. That it might actually be dedicating our lives to the gospel, where the real story of what is going on is told. Where forgiveness, reconciliation are the things that are recounted as what matters and not whether the president chose to take us to another war or to an economic future that looks brighter. You see, because one way, and this is the way that we tell the story as Christians, is that what is really going on in the world is the story of love where the mainstream, the main vine of that story is this table where we meet the center of what God is doing in the world in the body and blood of Christ. And as we share it with one another, we are reminded that it is the love of God poured into us and as we pour it into one another that will truly be what is recounted as what happened, as what went on, as what creation was meant to be. At Emmaus Way, we celebrate an open table, meaning all of you are invited to come. We break bread for one another, sharing it with one another, saying the, blood of Christ, the body of Christ broken for you. We pour wine or juice for one another, saying the blood of Christ shed for you. And we do that tonight in recognition that regardless of what other stories might be told, that it is here where the central story of the vine meets our lives And the real story of love goes on. The real story of love is taken into our lives and we then live it out.
As I invite you to the table, Wade, and these guys are going to play the benediction over us. We celebrate a loud, raucous communion. You'll, you'll be invited to chat with one another, but also pay attention to the benediction, the words of this song as they're played over you. I invite you now to the table to embrace the real story of love and your real future the way God has graciously made it. Amen. Thank you. 